Welcome to another VHA podcast. I'm Emma Scott, Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, and I'm joined today with Bree Marinia, Workplace Relations Consultant. Welcome, Bree. Thanks, Emma. So we've got another Allied Health Professional um, podcast. So we're doing two clauses today. So the first one, we've got two clues for the one clause that we're first going to be describing. Can you guess that particular clause? Uh, I do know who those people are. I know the first one is Rihanna and it's already referencing a halftime show. So that's probably going to be in the news a little bit. And then the second is... Steve Carell, who plays Michael Scott, who I know is a boss, and Rihanna's also a boss in her own right. Um, maybe something to do with the allied health manager structure? Bow, bow. <laughs> well, you got it wrong today. Okay. So for that one, we're at, it's actually the performance management clause. Ah, uh, right, because it's a performance Yes. And the manager. <laughs> Correct, Amanda. Okay. Now, that the next sense. one, you may have a better time at guessing. Can you describe it for people that are, um, yeah, not, not watching the podcast? Right. We have a picture of Emma's dog, Bonnie, um, who appears to have gotten into her bed and made a mess, pulled it all apart. So that's very naughty. Um, she should be disciplined. And I think that's going to be the discipline clause or the old discipline clause, um, which is now managing conduct and performance. Well, you definitely got the second half right. And I wouldn't say that she needs to be disciplined first. (laughs) I do need to investigate if she did it. But I can tell, I think, by her face and the position of where she's located that it was her. But that investigation is actually still ongoing. Pretty um, cold, hard evidence there. But um, we'll wait and see what the outcome is. (laughs) Yeah, so today we'll be going through the amendments to Clause 15, Performance Management, and then also Clause 16, Managing Conduct and Performance, which was previously known as the Discipline Clause. So starting with Clause 15, Performance Management, what's the first change? So the first change relates to Subclause 15.1a, and now it outlines that we've got issues with the performance of the employee that they must be dealt with as soon as practical following the employer becoming aware of the performance issue. So essentially, um, employers shouldn't wait to deal with the performance um, issue. They should deal with it as soon as they kind of can when they become aware of it. And what about subclauses 15.1b? Were there any changes made there? Yeah, so the changes here related to the definition of when a performance issue can be considered misconduct. Uh, And we've got it outlined on screen. So a performance issue can be considered misconduct where despite all reasonably practical interventions by the employer, highlight the change, um, which includes following the process in clause 15, the employee is unable to fulfil all or part of their job requirements to a satisfactory level. So I highlighted in there what had changed, which is just the things in brackets, which is which includes following the process in clause 15. So really what that's saying is that before you can take a performance issue to um, a disciplinary matter under the new clause 16, you have to follow the performance management process before you get there when it comes to performance issues. 
um, which is a separate and distinct to a conduct matter where obviously if there's a particular conduct matter, then you can still deal with it under clause 16 um, from the outset. It's really just in relation to performance um, issues. And then we also did make a clause change reference where it talks about, say, for example, you get to a matter and it's under clause 16, that the performance management clause still can apply where it's appropriate. So in terms of um, what that clause reference is, it used to say 15.3 C, D and E, but now we actually make a specific reference to 15.3 C, Roman numeral 4, D, and then E. So that's really just the clauses that relate to um, your performance plan and then also ongoing feedback and support where, where it's appropriate in the matter. And the informal process also had some changes made to it as well. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, the employer is required to provide a written record of the discussions to the employee, uh, including a clear outline of the concerns with the employee's performance and support the employee in rectifying that, which we're just showing on screen. So this is really just ensuring that there's some kind of record and that everyone's clear about it and what the concerns are. So that's um, something that you might usually already put on the file possibly, um, but you're meant to give something to the employee to confirm that. And then uh, the next step there was also additionally talking about providing some support to the employee to help them with trying to fix that issue. So a simple um, thing there might be uh, assisting with some additional education for that employee. And what about the next change? Uh, so there are two more changes. One is at subclause 15.4 and then the next at 15.5. Um, in relation to subclause 15.4, we've got that on screen. So that's where a period of 12 months elapses without the employee repeating the performance issue. The employer cannot rely on the preceding performance issue for the purposes of this clause 15 or clause 16. So that's really just about ensuring that employers are not using outdated performance issues for the purposes of their performance management clause or um, clause uh, 16. And what about the second change at subclause 15.5? So this is just a case of inserting the obvious, um, which is that a dispute over the performance management clause is to be dealt with in accordance with the dispute resolution procedure of the agreement, which is clause 14. So the next clause 16, managing conduct and performance, which used to be called the discipline clause, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So like other public sector um, clauses, we've changed the name and the provisions within the clause to really reduce the stink stigma around managing um, those types of issues that are relevant in the clause. So what's the first change that was made? So the first main change is one um, similar to what we did in the performance management clause, and that's at subclause 16.1D. And that's about the employer will deal with and notify the employee in accordance with subclause 16.3b as soon as practical following the employer becoming aware of the alleged concerns at subclause 16.1a. So it's a different context, but the same um, process in relation to not, um, you know, delaying the process in terms of notification to employees when there are relevant concerns. And we also added the exception for employees who have not completed the minimum period of employment with your employer. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So um, there is now an exception to following the three warning step process, um, but there is still a process that applies. So 
it is something that we tried to get from the other agreements. So similar terms, but a little bit um, different. So some of the tweaks in language that were made in the AHP compared to others is that it's really making it clear that um, someone has a right to a representative, including a union rep, and that includes to represent them, which is slightly different to just sitting there as a support person. Um, and yeah, we've kind of got then the rest showed on on screen in terms of that process. So where someone hasn't completed their minimum um, period of employment in line with Section 383 of the Act um, and you're considering terminating the person, you just need to go through a process. So they're not in a particular order, but they're the principles and steps that you need to apply before you go through that. So you've got to provide the concerns in writing to the employee as soon as practical, following the employer becoming aware of the alleged concerns. So that's similar to the other process. You need to advise the employee of their right to have a representative, including a union representative, represent them. So again, it's just the added words of represent them that isn't in other agreements, but it's clearer in the AHP one. Other than in a case of serious misconduct, um, you must provide the employee with an opportunity to improve their performance or conduct and then also meet with the employee um, and, where relevant, their representative. And then you've also got to consider any explanation by the employee, including any matters that might be raised in mitigation before any making any decision to terminate. And then there's just the clarity um, at the bottom of there that we've got shown on screen that essentially says the other provisions don't don't apply to these people. So that was something that we were able to get in, which is good. That's good. So what about the next subclause 16.2 definitions? So in 16.2, we did um, make sure the definitions were in alphabetical order, so that's something that they weren't. We did also add the words in bold that we highlighted when we talked about the performance management um, clause, and that is in relation to the definition of misconduct and um, referring to uh, the performance management clause as something that needs to be done before you get to that. Um, and then also we've added sexual harassment to the definition of serious misconduct, which has um, happened with changes to the Act not that long ago. And what are the other changes that were made? Uh, so what we did was we did change the structure of it when it came to 16.3. So we put some new headings in there and separated it out. So we've got it um, in relation to principles and the investigator at subclause 16.3a, and then we've got process at 16.3b, and then we've also made some changes that were made in other agreements, which we've put as subclauses 16.3c and 16.3d. So starting with the principles and the investigator at 16.3a, what were the changes there? So the first one was that we clarified that in investigate investigation procedure uh, must be fair, including proper regard to procedural fairness and natural justice. So natural justice being the new words um, that we've uh, put in there, which really essentially is underpinned by how we've set out the clauses in the agreement and the process, really. Um, and then in relation to the investigation, we've got three subclauses that we've added, which we've got in sc on screen now. So that's 16.3 Roman numeral A, one, two, four. And so the first one is that the investigator must act in good faith and without bias. Where a conflict of interest is identified, a different investigator may need to be appointed where it could be interpreted as prejudice 
prejudicing an investigation. Uh, so this is because although there may be conflicts of interest, they can operate to on a spectrum and that if, some, if there is some that are identified, there might be instances where the conflict can be managed and you don't actually need to appoint a different uh, investigator to that particular um, investigation. The next one we've got on screen is where the employee or their representative reasonably believes that it is appropriate for a different investigator to be appointed because the investigator cannot act in good faith and without bias because of a conflict of interest or other reason, the employer will not unreasonably refuse to appoint a different investigator. So that's really um, just about a process where if uh, someone thinks that someone else needs to be the appointed as the investigator, what you'd do is you'd review that request, look at all the relevant um, circumstances and not unreasonably, unreasonably refuse um, appointing a different investigator. So it's obviously going to depend on the circumstance as to if that request is reasonable or un, unreasonable, but there should be relevant reasons provided to you to look at. And then the next one is that the investigator being an employee of the employer is not of itself a conflict of interest that would exclude them from investigating. So just because a particular relationship exists between um, the people, it doesn't mean that it is just um, a conflict of interest. So we've just put there just for the avoidance of, of doubt because that's something that we do get questions on a lot. So moving on to the process at subclause 16.3b, what are the changes there? So there's an additional step at 16.3b uh, Roman numeral 1 and it's outlining that the employer will inform the employer in writing um, of who will be conducting the investigation for the employer and in the event of conflict of interest how that conflict will be managed. So those changes there are intended to support I guess the changes that we made and just described earlier. Um, and then we've got 16.3b Roman numeral 3, um, and that's just about um, providing the employee with any material which forms the basis of the co concerns before seeking a response. So the specific change is what we've highlighted in bold and underlined, um, which is what we did in other public sector agreements. And really that just means that you've got to provide the information and you can't ask someone to respond before you have um, provided the relevant information for them to consider their response. And 16.3 C and D, you mentioned there were changes similar to those in other agreements. Yeah, so we've got them on screen and we've tried to highlight the um, differences in terms of um, what it might be, say, compared to the nurses and midwives agreement. So what we've got is 16.3 C, where the employer has complied with subclause 16.3 B, I, to Roman numeral 4, the employee does not, and the employee does not dispute the concerns. The employee may opt to decline in writing the opportunity to be interviewed. And then at 16.3D, we've got where the employee opts to decline the opportunity to be interviewed. Subclause 16.4 still applies, which uh, includes the that the employee may still raise matters under subclause 16.4C which includes um, mitigation matters um, if you've, you're going to be proposing disciplinary action. So although we've highlighted there in bold and underlined the, some of the differences, it's really the same principle that the employee can essentially waive the, the need to be interviewed 
um, under the investigative process, but that um, that choice that the employee makes doesn't affect any other provisions from applying, including any kind of explanation that the employee might provide to mitigate yeah, why that particular issue happened. And the next clause is subclause 16.4, titled Procedure to Address Misconduct or Serious Misconduct. Are there any changes associated with this clause? Yeah, so we've got them just on screen. And the ones that are changed, we've got um, bold, bold and underlined. So um, you've got to notify the employee and their representative in writing of the outcome of the investigation process, including the basis of any conclusion and details of the evidence the investigator relied upon to come to their conclusion. So um, providing something to their representative instead of just the employee. Um, we think most people already comply with that, but if you don't, you've just got to make that change. And then the other one is just around um, the details of the evidence that um, of why they came to that conclusion. So one example that you may have is that they've relied on particular timestamps given on case notes or building access. So the details of what those are then would be provided to suggest that that's the relevant evidence that was relied on to come to their conclusion. Then the second one is meet with the employees, except where the employee de declines. So obviously meeting with the employee should be the first preference, but there are instances where the employee declines. So the clause was updated to take that into account. Um, and then the additional one is that um, you also must provide the employee with a reasonable opportunity to provide information about the matters in subclause 16.4C, including a reasonable time to respond. So that just is really outlining that the, the principle around ensuring that there's a reasonable opportunity given to the employee to um, respond to the allegations, which are going to depend on things such as the complexity of the allegations that are being provided to them as well. And then 16.5, it's titled Possible Outcomes. That's the next clause. Yeah, so we did a fair bit of redrafting to that clause, but most of it wasn't intended to change process, but provide some clarity. Um, and what we'll do is we'll just go through the whole clause as rewritten and highlight some things to people. So the first part element of that clause just talks about where after following the procedure in this clause 16, it is determined based on evidence that the employee has engaged in misconduct or serious misconduct and that disciplinary action is warranted. The employer may um, take disciplinary action, which shall be recorded in writing um, recorded on the employee's personal file as follows, um, which we'll go through on the next couple of slides. But in terms of the first change, it was kind of just um, made clear that it should be determined based on the evidence, which obviously your health service would be going through um, and would have deemed that there was relevant evidence or support to go to the disciplinary phase. So most people do that already um, through the fact of the procedure in the clause. Um, but then we've also just clarified that in each instance, you should really put something on the personnel file. And then we essentially better set out the different circumstances in which the different outcomes apply, which really depends on if it's a serious misconduct or not. So in terms of the possible outcomes, um, what will apply if the performance or conduct issue constitutes misconduct, but it doesn't actually constitute serious misconduct? Yeah, so um, you've got the first one there on screen, which is A, cancel the employee. So that's always um, being clear there. 
Then the next one, B, um, is that you give the employee a first warning in the event that the employee has been cancelled within the previous 12 months for that course of conduct or performance issue. Um, and Or then your next one is that the employer may also give the employee a first written warning where the seriousness of the conduct is such that the counselling the employee under the previous subclause that I just mentioned is not appropriate. So um, what we've done is, is we have amended. Um, instead of saying a first verbal warning, we've changed that to a written warning. And what we've done is we've just clarified that um, B only applies. So your first written warning would only apply where the person has been cancelled within 12 months for that course of, course of conduct or performance issue or where the seriousness of the conduct or performance issue is that you wouldn't be dealing with it and it's not appropriate to deal with it in your um, counselling in the first instance. It's, it's serious enough that you go straight to a first warning, essentially. Um, what would the next step be if the misconduct continues? So the next step or like kind of scale you end up getting to is for you give someone a second um, written warning in the event that they uh, have done that conduct again within the previous 12 months. So what you'll see in screen, and it does apply across a couple of them, is what we've added in bold is or performance issue. So that's just to make it clear that um, the performance issues are through this issue as well, or process, shall I say. <laughs> and then um, where do we go after that second written warning? So we didn't change the steps as such ongoing from there where you basically do a warning process until you then are ready to terminate if that conduct still um, keeps going. All we did, um, which you can see on screen, is outlined uh, that it also applies for the performance issue. So that's just a clarity um, perspective that it's a conduct or a performance issue that you still follow the warning process uh, for. Um, yeah, that's it. What um, What's the process if a performance or conduct issue constitutes serious misconduct? So this is another one where we just redrafted to make it clearer, but the entitlement uh, doesn't change. So you essentially can terminate the employee's employment without notice, or alternatively, you can issue the employee with a final warning without following the relevant steps that we had um, described above. And are there any other changes that employers should be aware of? Yeah, so there were um, some last changes at subclause 16.5b and 16.5c, uh, which we've got on screen. So the first one in relation to subclause um, b is that the employer's decision and summary of its reasons will be notified to the employee and their representative in writing. Again, if they have a representative, that representative should know about their outcome um, as well as the employee. So a simple CC in a letter or an email will suffice if employers don't already do that as a part of their process. And then we've got 16.5C, which is if after any warning or counselling, a period of 12 or 18 months elapses as relevant without the employee repeating a course of conduct or performance issue for which the preceding warning or counselling was given, the employer cannot rely on the preceding warning or counselling for the purpose of issue, issuing a further warning, and all adverse reports relating to the warning or counselling must be removed from the employee's personal file 
So what we've done there is we've added cancelling to the clause uh, for some clarity, along with the statement that we've added in other public sector enterprise agreements that the employer cannot rely on the preceding warning or counselling for the purposes of issuing a further warning, which was originally in uh, intended to um, remove the need from taking something off the file, um, but VARPA didn't agree to um, the removal of uh, not taking off the per personal file. So we still do have that requirement under um, Allied Health as well. So we've got two requirements. So one is you shouldn't rely on those after the relevant time has elapsed. And then also you must remove them from the file still as well. Was there anything else? No, that's all. Perfect. Well, thank you for taking me through the elements of the changes made to those two clauses. Thanks.